This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, good morning, Heidi, from California. It's uh, Labor Day weekend coming up, right? Uh, it is. Let's see. It's on the 6th, which is a Monday. Yeah, it's a, kind of a, an interesting time for people who've had a loss because, you know, the summer can either be a relief or it can kind of be a drag. And, you know, maybe for some folks it's, wow, I made it through. Uh, remember that first uh, summer after Scott died, we went to uh, Chautauqua for a whole month, uh, and your 14-year-old sister wasn't very happy about being there, but I just had to go somewhere different. I was, you know, uh, I just wanted to do something different. He died in April, and uh, we spent a month in another house in Chautauqua, so it was kind of a relief for me, because it was kind of a controlled community with little activities there, so it was okay, but I think I was kind of glad when the summer is over. Do you remember going back to school? Well, I remember going to Chautauqua, definitely, and um, like you said, kind of getting out of the house and going someplace different, and um, yeah, I think that, like you said, it can be nice and it can be difficult as well. Yeah, I do remember going back to school. Going back to school was hard for me because I, you know, the people where I was at school didn't know Scott, and my community that knew him was at home. Mm-hmm. And so it was hard. It's hard when you're a college student. You're not. You're not with anyone that knows your brother, or or. And you're also not around anyone that's ever had a sibling die. I, I was. No one. No one. You know, 20 years old had sibling die. It's very. It's rare. So people can't really relate to what you're going through, and they want you to act like everything is fine. Now, was your sister out there with you, Rebecca, or was she coming? Out um, she was. Yes, she was out there with me. So that was a support, but you know, other than that, we, you know, our friends weren't really supportive. They were supportive for two weeks. After two weeks, they kind of wanted us to act like we always had. Right, and when you came back they gave, from college, they gave us they gave us a two week leeway <laughs> to get our acts together. Right, <laughs> you know, and so you know, the bottom line is, as we all know, two weeks is is not nearly enough time. Right, and and so we were back with our little family with uh, Phil and I and Heather, our fourteen year old. So yeah, it's an adjustment. Uh, don't be surprised out there, folks, if it's going to be adjustment. I mean, you hate to see people leave because you've already had a loss, and it's really traumatic the day you know people get on the plane or get in the car and, and go. It's it can be tough. Well, it was hard, really, really hard saying goodbye to you and Dad and Heather after Scott had died and, and leaving you because you know leaving anyone you love after someone has died is that much harder because you're terrified you might not see them or something else might happen to someone that you care about. All right. So I remember feeling really sad as I was leaving. Yeah. So so it's a it's a time and I don't know. I I think uh writing letters, emails, I think email and all that kind of thing is great to keep in touch with people and just say, you know, love you and, and also Skype, you? mom. Skype is amazing. Yeah, cuz you can actually see people now. It's <laughs> it's very cool. So trying to get in touch, but I would say don't try to get in touch too often. <laughs> As a parent, you know, people are in college, they're trying to get back into classes and all that. And I guess you have to be careful how you use it nowadays. Would you say, Hyde? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you do. You definitely do. I'm laughing because I think that, um, yeah, when parents have had a loss, they get nervous and anxious that something's going to happen to other kids and they tend to hold on a little tight and probably get a hold of their kids a little more than their kids, their adult kids would like. Um, But that's okay. Right, exactly so. 
Well, Heidi, we've got... We, uh, we can ignore those texts. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Kids do ignore them, don't they? <laughs> we ignore the texts. Yeah, and you ignore the texts and ignore the emails, and you eventually, on your own time, get back to your parents. Right. Exactly. So don't worry about their parents if, if they are ignoring you a little bit. Well, Heidi, we've got a, a great guest today talking about the death of a father uh, as a younger person, which can be, you know, really a traumatic thing. And um, it, it follows you through your life. And, uh, and Barbara can talk a little bit about how, how it's changed uh, her life. We met her in at, uh, ADAC, remember, Heidi, at the Association of Death yeah, Educators? And uh, remember what you said to me? Wow. I just met this woman, Barbara Thompson, who's, uh, you were telling me her story that she, uh, her dad died when she was 12, and then they moved to the Gulf of Mexico. And today you were saying to me, why did, why did they move? And we are very curious, Barbara. Hi, Barbara. Welcome to the show. Hi, <laughs> Barbara. It, it, is, it is fascinating that, you know, you've had, you had a death at 12, and then your parent, your, let's see, your mom moved to the Gulf of Mexico, of all places. So interesting. Well, to Barbara, before we get into that story, we're going to let people hang on that for a minute. Tell us what you're doing right now. Right now, I'm teaching uh, occupational therapy in a graduate program at the Sage Colleges in Troy, New York. And I also have a uh, psychotherapy practice. I'm also a licensed clinical social worker. Oh, that's great. Troy, New York. We were uh, our, The experience we were talking about was in Rochester uh, when uh, my son Scott died. So Troy's not too far from there, is it? Not too far. No, both upstate. Uh, Rochester, of course, is a little further west. So, yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your experience, and we want to talk about how that impacted you in your life, having uh, your dad die at 12. So you were in, he died. Well, tell us the the story. Sure. Um, My um, family uh, and I were living on Long Island on the South Shore in Baldwin, about uh, 30 miles out of New York City. And um, my father had a history in his family of heart problems. His father had died at age 42. And um, he had had one heart attack and um, was advised to take it easy. Uh, And uh, he didn't. He took a promotion. And within a year, he had a second fatal heart attack on January 23rd, 1965. Uh, He was 52 years old. I was 12, yeah, so, um, and interestingly, he must have had some kind of premonition that he was going to die because my mother uh, told me some years later that the night before he died, uh, he had a conversation with her thanking her for um, being such a wonderful partner and acknowledging that he had been very difficult to live with at times and uh, how wonderful, um, uh, what a wonderful wife and partner he'd been and, and wonderful mother. And so he died later that night at four in the morning. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, again, I, he must have had some kind of inkling. We do hear about those premonitions, for sure, from a lot of people way beyond what could just be coincidence in my mind. How about you, Heidi? Absolutely. Yeah, we hear it all the time. So, uh, so then he passed away, and and what happened from there? Did you have other yeah, siblings? So, yeah, I had a younger sister, two and a half years old, um, younger, living at, in the house at the time, and my brother was off at college. Mm-hmm. And um, so I remember I was ill, actually. I had a, a cold um, and had been home from school for a few days. 
but I remember a lot of rustling and um, and conversation in the house. And my I remember peeking through the door and seeing them take my father out on a stretcher uh, uh, with a sheet over over him. And then a short while later, my mother came in, and she'd obviously been crying and um, and said, which sounds incongruous, and it was uh, at the time, is don't be upset. Um, your father, I wasn't able to wake your father, and uh, he's died. Um, and then she shut the door. And um, again, I heard a lot of conversation downstairs, but I wasn't feeling well and you know, was left. I think the primary response I remember at the time is just feeling very confused and not understanding what was happening and um, uh, and didn't really have conversation with my mother until much later that evening. And so you did, did so you ever see his body? Uh, I did not, which was significant. And um, I was sick, actually, at the time of his burial. And I remember going to a memorial service um, but I never saw his body, and interestingly, uh, in my 20s, um, shortly after, late 20s, after I started doing volunteer work with hospice, uh, I started having a series of dreams about him, and one of the dreams was quite vivid, and in the dream he came back, and he said, you never saw my body, and it's important that you do, and then he escorted me out to the street, and there was a an old-fashioned hearse um, drawn by uh, four black horses, and his casket was in the hearse, and he took me over and showed me, and I saw in the dream um, his dead body, and then the, the hearse drove off, and then he went in and uh, gathered me and my family together and said, I didn't get a chance to talk with you before I died, and, and I wanted to talk with you about some things that... Uh, were important and, and fundamentally apologized for some things that had happened in childhood. He had been an alcoholic and had been very difficult to live with. And so he uh, apologized and then said, well, he said, I have other things that I'm doing now, so I need to leave. But I wanted to um, to say a few things to you, and then he left. So, wow, what an, what an amazing healing dream. Yeah, it is. It was very healing. And we know uh, we've talked to a lot of people on the show that have had these healing dreams. So uh, pretty amazing. So uh, your mother just packed you up and you moved to Mexico. Is that how it went? The Gulf of Mexico? Or well, she we were living on Long Island. I finished out the school year, uh, and as Heidi was saying, it was very awkward going back to school because I didn't know what to say to my peers, and they didn't know what to say to me. And um, after a few weeks, um, as Heidi suggested, there's the expectation that everything will go back to normal, which, of course, it didn't. And um, that summer, uh, my mother told me that um, she was going to sell the house and that we were going to move to Florida to live with her sister, uh, my Aunt Gladys, who she was very close to. And um, she said that she really didn't have any... Most of the connections on Long Island were uh, my father's work connections and that she really needed to be with her sister. So uh, we spent the summer on Long Island and um, I said goodbye to my uh, friends and community and 
At the end of the summer, we moved to an island, um, seven by five mile island in the Gulf of Mexico, which was accessible only by boat. Um, so there was quite a, a um, it was quite a shock. I turned 13, and needless to say, for an adolescent living alone on an island, there were no, there was one other family uh, that lived there, and um, that was it. So how how have you gotten through that for our folks out there who've who've had a dad die and and you moved along and I know that you're interested in spirituality and meditation and do you think you've been drawn to those things because of the seclusion and because you were spending time alone? I mean, how does that all impact you? Yeah, that's very perceptive. Um that I think that's absolutely right. I had been um I think because I be, I became much more internal and uh, my sister was there, my aunt was an occupational therapist and was an artist. And so part of uh, the healing for me was she was constantly involving us in various kinds of art making. And she taught my sister and myself to weave. um, And she had a couple four harness looms out on a porch overlooking the ocean. Uh, We would walk up and down the beach and retrieve uh, objects and make things with them. I was painting. Uh, my sister and I did a lot of play together with dolls and puppets and such. So I think that the arts and the ocean and the natural environment and my relationships with my family really were tremendously healing. And um, we stayed on the island for a year and then built a house on the mainland. But always, ever after, that island has been sort of a sacred place of healing for me and so I will I, I've gone there in the past when I've needed um, to be in a place of renewal mm-hmm. could you talk a little bit about rituals and coping and and what would you recommend to people I mean you had a, a, a very jarring experience how have you found healing and what would you recommend to those folks who are feeling very jarred out there right now I think that finding ways to um, I think the arts uh, at least for me, and I think for many people, are very, very uh, helpful because uh, writing poetry or painting or making objects or creating memorials um, are ways of expressing a connection and uh, expressing grief that is often difficult to express verbally in conventional language. And um, so I think that uh, making things and memorializing um, is is very very helpful, and uh, I'm I'm actually continuing to do that with my father. What are you doing right now? What kinds of things have you done? Well, interestingly, um, you know, the relationship with our relationships continue, and uh, uh, even though my father died when I was 12, my understanding has, of him has changed as I've aged and. Uh, learned more about him, and um, in the last couple of years, I've become, for reasons I didn't fully understand, very interested in working with veterans, and uh, I, I became involved in a, a veterans uh, healing uh, workshop uh, on a professional basis with some of my students, but I, mean, I remember in the opening talking stick, they said, so why are you here? And I said, you know, I'm not really sure, but I think I will find out. <laughs> over the course of time, and um, uh, they showed us a lot of films uh, related to war, and and some of them were from the Pacific Theater, and I realized that that was where my father had served, 
And to make a, a somewhat long story short, I started doing research on his experience in World War II, again, trying to piece together fragments of his history. Ah, and, and get to know who he was, and, and maybe part yeah. of the reason that he drank. <laughs> you know, who knows? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. And um, so I knew, he never had talked about um, the war, however, like many veterans, he he... Uh, would watch uh, war movies um, as if he was trying to kind of make sense of the experience himself and would spend a lot of time by the ocean. Um, and uh, I found out and verified uh, that the, the the boat that he served on, the USS Haynes, uh, that their mission was to go over to Japan after the war and uh, help to survey the damage um, in the aftermath of Hiroshima. Mm. Oh, my goodness. How dramatic. Yeah. So he spent two months in um, Hiroshima and Hiroshima and was, you know, cataloging the destruction. Oh, my goodness. And then came home and didn't talk about it at all. Right. As many veterans Uh, didn't. I have objects that he brought back from Japan, which are... Um, have always in the family had a lot of symbolic charge, and now I really understand more, um, you know, what these objects hold. And um, so in any event, I'm helping to organize a week-long series of events honoring veterans and I'm organizing what we're calling a commemorative flag uh, ceremony. So for Veterans Day, uh, with all of my students and with the SAGE community and the surrounding community, we're going to have uh, uh, offer people the opportunity to make a commemorative flag in honor of somebody who served or is currently serving, and then we're having a um, a service, both a, a musical and also a speaker, um, on Veterans Day, and there'll be a tribute and an honoring of veterans and the the commemoration of the flag. I love I love this idea about the flags, Heidi. I haven't heard that one yet. Have you? I mean, we've heard about quilts and we've heard about, but I love a veteran and a commemorative flag. Me too. This whole this whole thing is so interesting to me, and I love what a great tribute to your father. And I can't tell you the parallels between your father's life and my father-in-law's life. They are so so similar. And he was also in Hiroshima and, and fought in the war, and mm. he died of cirrhosis five years ago. And I absolutely mm. think his drinking problems. He never talked about all the war and destruction and devastation he saw. And I think he drank to self-medicate, and, you know, he was a wonderful person, but I just, you know, had been through this horrific event with the war. So, wow, what a great ritual and tribute to our vets. I love what you're doing. Yeah, I think it's it's fantastic. And, you know, I, I want to say that I think this is really an important show, Barbara, because uh, we categorize everything and catalog it and put it on our site. And what strikes me about this show is not just the veterans piece, but that an adult who had a traumatic experience, who didn't see the body, who's in 1965, things were handled very differently. There was a lot of protection. You didn't talk about grief and loss. And for those people there who are adults who lost a parent, it's never too late to go back and take a look because if you're listening to the show right now, it's probably because you've had a recent loss, but then we have to go back to those early losses and say, how do they impact us? And it's never too late to head back, take a look at that history and make some meaning out of it. And you've certainly done that. Well, I think that's a really important um, point because the, you know, the death of my father has informed my entire life. And 
um, both in terms of my eventually going into hospice work. Um, I, I knew the professional reasons, but I, I came to understand the personal reasons. Uh, but but also, um, I, it informed the subsequent deaths, and uh, I, I feel as if I'm still building a relationship uh, with him and coming to know him in very different ways. Uh, and what had been, uh, you know, terribly traumatic, um, uh, I'm I'm learning from that uh, now, and it's helping me, and hopefully will contribute to my work uh, professionally. So Absolutely, and I'm, I'm sure you're helping so many other people, don't you think, Heidi, and, and with the show today and everything? Oh, absolutely, and I love how you can pay tribute to people after they've died. Yep. You know, we don't ha- if you haven't paid tribute in some way, like I would love to go and make a flag for my father-in-law. Mm. Now, well, maybe you, know, you even can... Even though he's not here. Maybe you can get in touch with Barbara to do that. Barbara, how would Heidi or somebody else get in touch with you if they wanted to do something? Do you have a website? Well, I, or? I would... Uh, there is a website, and um, uh, I should know it offhand. It's um, It's on the Sage College's website, and there is a they have we have a veterans page now because we're becoming a yellow ribbon school uh, for veterans and um, there is actually some information on the veterans page about the commemorative flag project and I would say contribute um, a flag we will uh, display it and hang it as part of our exhibit oh, um, fabulous that would be absolutely fine well there you go and Heidi I can send you information on dimensions and such I just I think that this I think it's very important to um, both honor and tell the stories. Uh, the other piece of this project is going to be an oral history project, and we're going to invite uh, people who make a flag to tell the story um, of the person and, and um, the flag-making process. So. Well, I'll tell you, Heidi's husband's quite an artist. Heidi, he might want to go on and do that. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Well, Barbara, thank it. you for being on the show. And folks, go to the Sage College's site and look under Barbara Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. Barbara, thanks so much for being on the show. Are you going to be at ADAC in, uh, in Florida? I am. I oh. am. Good. Well, Absolutely. we will look forward to seeing you there. And thanks again for being on the show today. I know it's going to be helpful for a lot of folks. Likewise. Thank you very much. Thanks, right. Barbara. Yep. You've been, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. You can uh, find us by going to the Open to Hope site and listening to the radio show, which we post a brand new show at 9 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And remember, we have uh, how many shows, Heidi? Uh, maybe uh, over 300 shows that you can access on our interactive site. We depend on you to let people know about us, and so we hope that through word of mouth, you'll get in touch with others and have them come and join us on Open to Hope. And Heidi and I want to say to remember that if you've lost hope, lean on ours till you find your own. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. 
You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.